worship him and give him all the glory and honor that he is worthy of. Amen. 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 All right. Watch ye therefore, you know not the well the day wind Lord shall call your soul away if you labor striving for the then one day you shall wear golden crown one of these days you know that I shall wear I'm gonna wear a crown I know that is weak with the trumpet sound I'm so glad you, you shall wear Are you glad to wear a crown and one of these days sing I shall Gotta make it so personal I shall wear And that is when, when, when the trumpet sound Golden crown, one of these days we'll wear 
golden crown. Let's sing. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord, for all the things that he's done for us, everything that he's doing for us. God is still in control no matter what goes on in our lives. God is still in control, and he deserves our thanks and our praise. Thank you, thank you, Lord. Oh, thank you, thank you, Lord. Lord, I want to sing thank you, thank you, Lord. Well, and I just want, I just want to. Tell them thank you, Lord. Sing it again. Tell the Lord, sing thank you every day, Lord. Every day of my life, I thank you, thank you, Lord. I just wanna sing thank you. Come on and thank you, Lord. Somebody do you want I just want to thank you Here's why we thank you Cause he died, he died Just for me Just for you Yes he did, he died, he died Died for me for me I wanna thank you, Lord. He's been my friend. You've been, been my, you've been a mighty good friend. Lord, I thank you because you've been, been my, my friend. Every day of my life, you've been real good, and you've been so good to me. Want to sing? I, I just want to thank you, Lord. Say you saved my soul. You saved my soul. Save my life, Lord. Cause of you, I can live in heaven. You saved my soul. When you died and you rose from the grave, you said you saved. Anybody want to praise him this morning? We praise your holy name. Lord, we praise, we praise your your holy name. And we want to thank you, Lord. We want to thank you, Lord. Because you gave us one more day for one, one more. One more, one more day, one more day. 
don't you thank you, Lord? Thank you, Lord. See, thank you, Lord. Thank you. We thank you, Lord. Every day somebody sees. There's a happy land of promise over in the great beyond where the seed of ourselves the glory share and where the souls of men shall and live on forever. Then everybody will be over there. Don't you want to be happy? Everybody will be over there. Well, then there will be the one who and who kept us by his and who brought us to that sober and fair. We, we will praise his name for as we look upon it. Of all ages will be singing around this throne and in the land. Well, no, we won't know the care. All and all the Christians of all will join in the triumph. Then everybody will be happy over. Stand and sing with me if you will.
blessing to be here with you all on this morning. It's a blessing to be here with you all on this morning. Well, I thought I'd be like uh, uh, preaching uh, by myself on this morning. I thought we'd just be doing everything online. I, I seen the, uh, when they canceled the, the March Madness, you know, I was kind of looking forward to them doing March Madness in a room with no one in the audience because I want to see players make their shots and just start screaming in the empty room to see how that dynamic will work. But they went ahead and canceled out the whole thing. What we're going to look at here on this morning, I want you to understand also, I need you to understand this before we get started. Just because people have taken precautions not to come this morning, I want you to understand they are not in sin, right? We sent out the messages that we sent to the members. If you don't feel well, if you don't feel well or you're at risk, don't come around groups of people, right? Protect yourself and protect your brothers and sisters, right? Be good neighbors towards each other. But on this morning, we're going to continue. We're going to continue our family series. And this family series that we've been looking at uh, in the month of March uh, is tied into our yearly theme, which is Christians First. Because in the year of 2020, uh, we, we all know what most people are focused on, right? We all know most people are focused on the direction of our country, who's going to be doing what, who's going to be leading who. But our focus and our and our efforts should be placed into being Christians first. And that's why for the year of 2020, our focus is and our yearly theme is Christians first. Before I'm a man, before I'm a husband, before I'm a woman, before I'm a wife, before I'm a child, before I'm whatever it else it is and I walk out these doors, I'm a Christian first. And if we recognize that, I believe that we're doing God's will. But with our family series, we've looked at the eligible candidates where we spoke to the singles and talk to them about making sure that they have themselves together first before they engage in being in a relationship, and also understanding that being single is a blessing. Being single gives you the opportunity to do more for God. Amen? And we looked on last week, we had the great debate, where we looked at the family structure as a whole, and what the family says, or what the world says the family is, versus what God says the family is. And we had three people debating on last week certain topics that are not really up for debate, but we had these two extreme personalities on either side of me. We had Mr. Jatheus that was to my right, and we had Mr. Hate Tear Misquote. And what I wanted you to see in that was is that we sometimes fall on either end of that spectrum. Sometimes we're we're too uh, easy with what God says, and sometimes we're too harsh and we don't show love within the gospel, and that's just not the gospel either. So what I wanted you to see was that the speaker that was in the middle, Mr. I am, that's the letters, I am Christian, uh, was the one that we need to be focusing on, the one that we need to be looking at, which is God's will and God's way. On this morning, our, our topic 
is the presiding man and the first lady. The presiding man and the first lady. When you think about the word presiding, to preside over something means that you have authority, right? To preside over something means that you have authority. And the first lady means that this isn't just some ordinary person. This isn't somebody you meet on the streets, but this is a special, special lady. Now, I want to bring to your attention, we all have in our minds, uh, in whatever era we've grown up in, we had uh, power couples, power couples. For some of us who go back far enough, we had a power couple that was in the White House at the time. You'll see the slides here. Uh, we had a power couple in Eleanor Roosevelt and Franklin Roosevelt. Some of us go back that far. Don't raise your hand if you go back that far. We have also JFK and Jackie Kennedy. We have, for a moment there, Bill and Clinton, uh, Bill and Hillary, Bill and Hillary, a power couple at one point in time. And then, of course, we have Barack and Michelle, power couples, right? And we looked at these couples, and when we see couples within the White House, we look at them, we say, okay, this is an example of what it should be. This is, they're doing it right. They, they've, they've accomplished so many things, and they're setting the stage for change and influence and leadership in our country's history. But what I want you to understand is, is that while we look at these couples sometimes for inspiration and guidance and while they were in the White House, even though they are beloved in our history, I stand to reason with you today that the Christian husband and wife should have just as much influence. The Christian husband and wife uh, living in submission in God to God, living in submission to one another as leaders in the home should be the launching point for the gospel, a means of the growth of the body. But sadly, we often fail at this great opportunity and task because we either don't know or don't show what it truly means to be one in the home that belongs to Jesus Christ. What we'll see here, as we look at Paul, Paul here in the book of Ephesians, he writes this letter to the church at Ephesus. And what he does is, while he's writing the church, the, to the church at Ephesus, he's explaining to them a couple of things. He's talking to them about what they have in Christ exactly. He says, man, y'all are blessed. Y'all have blessings, and God has given you a new life. God has taken you from what you used to be and made you into something new. He says, since God has done those things, since God has given you these blessings and he's given you salvation, he says, you ought to walk in a manner that's worthy of your calling. He says, since God has done what he's done for you, what I want you to do is, and what God wants you to do is, is to live like you're receiving these blessings. Live like you are saved. Live like you're a Christian. And he starts to talk about this word here that we always don't like to hear, right? And that word is submission. And sometimes when we hear the word submission, some of our ears changes what it means. And it says to us, submission, and then our brains whisper to us, dictator. And sometimes when we hear the word submission, some of our ears tell us, slave. I'm under somebody else's control. I must fight back. But that word submission isn't stating those things. Submission doesn't give the husband the right to be a dictator. Submission doesn't turn the wife into a slave. But what it does is it sets up a structure 
that actually works. Amen. We have a structure that actually works. Sometimes in our society, we create structures that work well for us in the moment. And whenever we start creating this structure, right, when we create this structure, everything's going well for a little while. It pleases us to create this structure. It makes life easy for us. We say to ourselves, this is what I want to have in my life, so I'm going to create this structure. And then when we create things with us being finite beings, it doesn't always go well, right? It doesn't always go well. And so if we do things God's way, if we do things God's way, then it's going to end up in a good place. Let's look at Ephesians 5, verse number 21. I want to start there. Ephesians 5, 21. The Bible reads, be subject to one another out of reverence for Christ. Do you understand that? This is what our home should look like. Christians, listen up. If you're married, if you're a Christian and you're married, this is important. If you're not married and you're a Christian, this is important because you may decide one day to be married and you need to understand that we are in subjection within our homes, within the church. We live in subjection to each other. And it's out of respect for Christ. It's not so that your husband can be in control of everything. It's not so that the wife can be up under you. But it's out of respect for Christ. We're going to read first in this entirety, uh, Ephesians 5, 22 through 33. I won't look at this text uh, in the way that we have. We, we've been studying this on Wednesday nights, and I won't put you through that text again. But what I want to do is to bring out a couple of points, and the lesson will be yours. Turn your Bibles to Ephesians 5, 22. If you're there, say amen. If you're not there, say hold on. All right, sound like everybody there. The Bible reads, wives. Submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. Can we say submit? For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its savior. Now, verse number 24, now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. Verse 25, the Bible says, husbands, love your wives. Can we say love? Good job. As Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. Can we say holy? Can we say without blemish? In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church, because we are members of his body. Verse 31 says, Therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound, and I am saying that it refers to Christ and the church. However, let each one of you love his wife as himself, and let the wife see that she respects her husband. Let's take a moment and look at the first lady. The first lady, the first lady is that special one that you took time with. You put your time in, husbands, and you said one day you looked across the room wherever you met your wife at, and you said, that's the one. That's the special lady. That's the one I'm going to give my last name to. I'm going to get a white picket fence. 
a house and a dog, and we're going to call it quits. My player days is over. You make that lady your special lady. You make that lady your only one. You make her one with you. You forsake all others for your wife. And you keep it that way, right? One, one, one wife said amen. All right. So what is, when we look at the first lady, the first lady is compared to the body. The first lady is compared to the body. The wife is compared to the body. What we see in another epistle by Paul, he says in 1 Corinthians 6, 15, this. Brother, I'm going to read that. Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ? Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ? Shall I then take the members of Christ? Shall I take the members of Christ? And make them members of a prostitute? And make them members of a prostitute? Never. Never. So Paul here is saying, I'm not going to take the body and then make them members of something else. Right? So think about this. If the wife is being compared to the body, right, nothing else should be over the body but Christ. Just like nobody else should be in a leadership position and structure over the wife. That means that sometimes mother-in-law has to stay out of your business. That means that you must forsake your friends, homegirls that want to tell you how to best have a marriage, even if they're single, right? That means that uh, uh, Oprah and Steve Harvey and, and all these other people can't be telling you how to live in a structured marriage, but only God. The wife must be under the leadership of one, just one. There should be submission to no others. You can't have a home husband and a work husband. Just one leadership position, and it does happen, right? When we look back in the book of Ephesians 4, the Bible says, verse 15 and 16, what does it say there, Brother Arnold? Rather, speaking the truth in love. Speaking the truth in love. We are to grow up in every way. We are to grow up in every way. Into him who is the head. In him which is the head. Into Christ. Into Christ. Verse 16. From whom the whole body. From whom the whole body. Joined and held together by right. every joint. All right. With which it is equipped. Right. When each part is working properly. Right. Makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. One thing that we must understand is the body must have a head worth growing into. And work with the head for healthy growth. Understand that if you want your structure, your family structure, to work properly, you have to work with the head. Amen? If you want your family structure to work well, you have to work with the head. And if you got a head that's messed up and that's not living up to God's standard, you must support him. You must help him to grow into God, into Christ, into submission to God so that you can, with a clear conscience, Follow. The body must have a head worth growing into. Ephesians 5.24 goes on to say what? Now as the church submits to Christ. Now as the church submits to Christ. So also wives, so also wives should submit in everything uh-huh. to their husbands. Submissive. This word here. I want you to understand that this word, it, it does not point to slavery. Don't be afraid of submission to your husband. What this word points to is there being an order in the household. Right. The husband receives what it is that or how it is that he should lead from God through Christ. The structure of things. 
how to lead properly. The wife supporting him, helping him, right? We can't do what we do without the help of our wife. Do y'all understand that? A lot of us at home, we, we said I do, right? We said I do. And we look at our husbands and we realize that we married a Clark Kent. We thought he was Superman when we were dating, right? You thought he was Superman when you were dating. And you would go out and you said, I got me a catch here. This is Superman. This is the man of steel. When you got married, you realized you had a Clark Kent. But what I want you to understand is, is that if you behave in the manner that God has prescribed with your husband and fall into that structure, that your Clark Kent will again become Superman. Submission, support. Just try it out. Submission, support. And watch that Clark Kent start leaping tall buildings in a single bound. Faster speeding bullet. He could do it. But we have to fall into the structure because guess what? If we fall out of that structure and the man or the the wife is trying to be everything that the husband is trying to be, he has no support. He has nothing to build him up. And he will just simply be Clark Kent. Wives, we should be, and I know kids don't know what this is, right? But we should be that phone booth for our husbands. Husbands should be able to become Superman within our wife, right? That was before cell phones, young people. As the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. Submission is key. Submission is key. Next verse in 2 Corinthians 3, 4 through 6, the Bible says what? Such is the confidence. Such is the confidence. That we have through Christ toward that God. That we have through Christ toward God. Verse 5. Not that we are sufficient in ourselves. Not that we are sufficient in ourselves. To claim anything that's coming from us. Keep reading. But our sufficiency is our from sufficiency God. Our sufficiency is from God. Verse 6. Who has made us sufficient to be ministers of a new covenant. All right. Not of the letter, but of the spirit. Uh-huh. For the letter kills. The letter kills. But the spirit gives life. What I want you to see here is this. Paul writes this epistle, writing to the church at Corinth, and he's trying to explain something to them. He's trying to tell them, look, you don't have to become good Jews in order to become good Christians. He says that the thing that we need the most is Christ. Understand that. This is what this text is saying, because we need to understand what it's saying here so we can understand what I'm trying to bring. He's saying that all that we need is this access to God through the head. He's talking to the body. He says, body, you need Christ in order to access God. We have confidence through Christ, or through Christ that we can access God. Wives, have confidence in your head, right? Your husband. Have confidence in your husband that you can reach God through him. Does that mean that your husband is going to be perfect? No. That that doesn't mean that. We make mistakes, right? Husbands, we make mistakes, right? Some some husbands will probably say, I made a mistake one time. We make mistakes. But as long as they're honest mistakes, we're we're trying to lead our homes the way that God wants us to lead. And all that... Paul requests here, if you look at this, what he requests for the wives is submit to your husbands as to the Lord. The same way that we're in submission, wives, listen, the same way that you're in submission 
to the Lord ought to be the same way that you set yourself structurally to your husband. God has ordered that the husband is the head. He is the authority figure in the home. And just as the church submits to Christ, wives should also submit everything to their husbands. The first lady, listen to this, the first lady must respect the authority of the head in order to be effective, influential, and submissive to Christ. Understand that you can't be effective in what it is that you're doing if you don't follow the structure that God has set in place. Understand that you can't influence the world, right? Your marriage can't preach a sermon if you are not falling within the structure of God. And you can't be submissive to Christ if you are not submissive to your husband. Amen? I know this was going to be a quiet one. This was a great one to, to be on today. Now we move on to the presiding man, because, of course, if you're going to be in a position of authority, there is more responsibility for you as a, in that position. The presiding man, the presiding man in Ephesians 5 is compared to the head to the body, right? The husband is compared to the head of the body. He is given the distinct role of headship of the wife and children, if applicable, right? That doesn't mean that you just only tell your wife what to do, right? That doesn't mean that you become a dictator. That doesn't mean that you just bully your children around and, your, and the rest of your house is out of order. The husband must have authority in all places. Ephesians 1, 7 through 10. Brother Arnold, could you read that for us? In him we have redemption through his blood. Now we see the him here is talking about Christ because the husband is compared to Christ. And understand this reference as we look at this. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses. Keep reading. According to the riches of his grace. According to the riches of his grace. Which we have lavished upon which he us. lavished upon us. And all wisdom and insight. Keep reading verse 9. Making known to us the mystery of his will. Making known to us the mystery of his will. According to his purpose. According to his purpose. Which he set forth in Christ. Verse 10. As a plan for the fullness of time. As a plan for the fullness of time. To unite all things in him. All right. Things in heaven and things on earth. What we see here is that through Jesus, structure created. Right? Through the head of the church, structure is created. If you look also at Colossians 2, 18 through 19, read that. Colossians 2, 18 through 19. Let no one disqualify you. In Let no disqualify insisting on asceticism asceticism yeah all right and worship of angels all right going on in detail about visions keep reading puffed up without reason by his sensuous mind okay 19 and not holding fast to the head uh -huh. from whom the whole body nourished and knit together through its joints and ligaments uh -huh. grows with a growth that is from god just like christ provides this structure just like Christ provides the means through which the body is able to function properly, just like how Christ provides the environment for order to exist, husbands ought to do the same. Husbands ought to do the same. Our homes ought to be like well-oiled machines, husbands. Does that make sense, husbands? Our homes should not be so chaotic that the wife cannot exist within and without the home. Our home should not be to where our children are not productive because of the husband being in the home. He ought to bring order to the home. There should be no chaos in the home. 
There ought to be a place of love for our family to come into when the husband is there. Because I can guarantee you something. I can guarantee you this. It is very hard. It is very hard to follow a dictator. It is very hard to follow someone who verbally abuses. It is very hard to follow someone who physically abuses. You may look and think as though you have the heavy hand and you have the say-so, but behind your back, they despise you if you behave that way. That's not true leadership. That's dictatorship. And the husbands ought to provide order, structure, an environment that causes the body to be productive and grow. Does that make sense? I'm trying to be practical today, okay? Uh, it, it provides an environment for growth. It should not be chaos when you come into the home. And we know, we know, we, we, we've been there moments in time in our lives. You know how you got that, that, that smoke coming from your car when you pull up to the church because you've been arguing on the way up here. And then you act peaceful and then you start it back when you go home. No? Okay. All right. The husband ought to be a head that makes the rest of the body parts productive and functional. I want you to understand now. Now, now, brothers, you may be thinking about this and saying, Chris, you sure did take it easy on the ladies. Well, God has only required that they be in submission to the husband. He required much more from the men. He says, men, I not only want you to, he mentions submission in verse 21 of chapter 5, but he says, I need you to love your wives. This is agape love, unconditional love. She shouldn't have to do anything extra than what she did to get you to say I do in order for you to love her. Amen. And some of the brothers, one of the brothers said amen. 1 John 3.16, 1 John 3.16, the Bible reads this. By this we know love. By this we know love. That he laid down his life for us. Listen to this. By this, this is how love was proven. Think, this is talking about Jesus. By this, by his actions, right, we know love that he what? That he laid down his life that for us. That he laid down his life for us. And we ought to lay down our lives And for we the ought brothers. to lay down our lives for the brothers. Listen to this. Husbands, you should be willing to sacrifice that which is valuable to you. You should be willing to sacrifice that which is valuable to you. If that means that you have to sacrifice your time, then that means that you need to sacrifice that time. If that means that you need to sacrifice the money that you have for your man cave, that means you got to sacrifice it. If that means that you're going to have to sacrifice some work days where you work extra days, that means you got to sacrifice it. And guess what, husbands? Sometimes it means you're going to have to sacrifice your pride. You have to admit when you're wrong sometimes. You're going to have to admit that the way that you have been leading wasn't the right way to lead. There comes a time when we got to do that sometimes. Sometimes we just got to realize, look, I've been trying to do it one way. It's not, it's not going well. And we got to sacrifice. We got to be willing to lay down what is valuable to show our love. How many of us still show our love today? Do y'all remember what you did to get your wife? Do you remember? I know the older folks probably went to drive-in movies. There was no Netflix and chill then, right? Take them out to dinner. Get them flowers. 
You you didn't yell at him to get him, did you? All right. Still quiet. Ephesians five twenty nine. Ephesians five twenty nine. For no one ever hated his own flesh. Listen to this. This is Paul spitting knowledge right here. Paul says nobody ever hated his own flesh. But nourishes. But he nourishes and it cherishes and it. cherishes it. Just as Christ. Think about this. Husbands, we're supposed to love the wife like we love ourselves. There's not a brother in here with ashy elbows. We're going to make sure we put the jergens on. We're going to make sure we eat those good steaks. We're going to make sure our hair is fried, dyed, and laid to the side if we still have it. <laughs> we take care of ourselves, man, sometimes. Sometimes, right? Too much of those steaks, we don't do well. But we take care of ourselves. And Paul calls for us to nourish, just like Jesus nourishes and cherishes the body. Husbands, we have to nourish and cherish our wives. How many of us feed our wives spiritually? How many of us are making sure that we feed ourselves so that we're able to feed our wives and our children? That's what's necessary. That's what's needed. Think about this for a moment. You leave the home. You're in a world that does not recognize God like you recognize God. You get beat up throughout the day on the job or wherever it is that you go. And then you come home and you're feeling just spent. Nothing left in the tank. You're on E when you walk in the house. That thing that you're feeling. Y'all thinking about that? Y'all know that feeling, husbands? That same feeling that you feel, your wife does too. And God has placed us in a position to where we have the responsibility to nourish, cherish, just as Christ does the church. If you're not married, don't settle for less. If, you, if, you, if you're dating a man and he doesn't know how to nourish you spiritually and he doesn't cherish you, don't set yourself up for failure because most times they won't keep up what they practice. And don't start nothing you can't keep. Right? I heard that. Somebody old told me that before. Don't start nothing you can't keep. I ain't going to buy two dozen roses for my wife because I can't keep that up. I can get her one. And she knows. <laughs> I can't keep that. Verse 29 again, read that. 29. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes it and cherishes it, All right. just as Christ does the church. All right. 30. Because we are members of his body. Now, I want you to see something else here, because this is one area that we often don't think about. Uh, see what Jesus does for the body here. In John chapter 17, verses 20 through 26, Jesus does something peculiar that sometimes, husbands, we don't recognize. Jesus is doing something in John chapter 17, verse number 20. Start reading there. I do not ask for these only. Jesus says, I do not ask for these only. But also for those who will believe in me. Also for those who will believe in me. Through the word. Uh-huh. Through their word. Uh-huh. 21. That, that they, they may all, all be one. Uh-huh. Just as you, Father, are in me. Keep reading. And I in you. Uh-huh. That they also may be in us. Uh-huh. So that the world may believe that you have sent me. Look at this right here. Jesus is praying not just for those who existed in that time, but he's praying for us today. Understand that Jesus, he prays for 
the body. Jesus, the head, prays for the body. He says, I want them to be one like we are one. Husbands, and the the text goes further all the way through 26, but I want to stop there because I think you get the point. Husbands, how many of us are praying for our wives, praying for our children, praying for unity to exist in our home? Too often, husbands, we are comfortable with pretending that we have unity only within these four walls here. And actual unity does not exist within our homes. And I want to tell you that you don't just hurt yourself when you pretend to have unity. You hurt the church because you can't be good leaders within the church if you don't have unity at home. Do you understand that the members can see when there's discord within your home? And when that exists, husbands, you've been placed in an authority role in your homes. Why does it exist if you're authority in your home? What are you doing to make sure that this structure that God set in place is working? Are you giving of yourself like Jesus did? Jesus didn't come down here and said, all right, everybody, listen up. You're going to obey me or else. I love you, by the way. That wouldn't have been a, we we wouldn't want to follow that. Jesus was willing to give all of himself so that this thing could work. He had his weak moments in his his human body. The Garden of Gethsemane is praying if this cup could pass. You're going to have your doubts about it. But God's way works. God's way works. Husbands, are we praying for our wives? Are we praying for our children? Christ prays for the body. And if we ought to be the head like Christ is the head, we got to start praying for our families. Jump over to Ephesians 5, chapter 27. Ephesians 5, verse number 7, or 27. What does it say there? So that he may present the church to himself in splendor. So that he might present the church to himself in splendor. Without spot or wrinkle. Without spot. Or any such thing. Or wrinkle or any such thing. That she might be holy. Right? And without blemish. Pause right there for a minute. A minute. I want you to see this. Jesus wants to make sure that the church is presented in such a way that it is beautiful. That when God sees it, it's without blemish. Jesus is not okay with seeing the body of Christ not do well. Husbands, are we taking care of our, our wife's heart? Are we taking care of the hearts of our wives? Are we making sure that when she goes out into the world, she can face the world as a Christian? Are we making sure that she's built up through kind words? Are we making sure that we keep her laughing like we did when we were courting her? Are we making sure that she's built up to withstand the world? Because if you don't do it, somebody else will. Present the church without spot, without wrinkle, holy, without blemish. That's beautiful. That Jesus cares enough about the church to make sure that we're presented in a way that God would be pleased with it. Will God be pleased with how we treat our spouses? 
There's something else that I want to bring out to you. The husband has this role of authority within his home. One thing that we need to see is this. We're doing, we just started our study on Revelation on Wednesday. Look at Revelation chapter 2, verse 18. I want, to see some, I want you to see something. Jesus here speaks through the angel, right? Or he gives the message through the angel to John. And he says this to this church. Read this here. And to the angel of the church at Thyatria. Uh-huh. Right. The words of the Son of God, uh-huh. who has eyes like a flame of fire, whose feet are like burnished right. bronze, uh-huh. I know your works. He says, I know your works. Your love and faith and service. Your love, your faith and service. And patient and endurance. And patient endurance. And that your latter works exceed the first. Listen, he says, you've been doing amazing. He says, I know what you've been doing. You've been doing amazing. Good job. He's telling them, you've been doing a great job. And listen, husbands, if you ain't applauding your wives, we got to start doing that. Sometimes they don't believe it because we ain't did it in a long time. But that's on them to believe it or not. But we got to do it anyway. Applaud your wives. Encourage them. Right? Now, I want this is something that needs to be brought out here. Keep reading this here. What does it say? I know your works. He said, I know your works. Your love and faith and service. Keep reading. And patient endurance. Keep reading. And that your latter works exceed the first. Keep reading. But I have this against he you. He says, but I have this against you. That you tolerate that woman Jezebel. You tolerate that woman Jezebel. Who calls herself a prophetess. Uh-huh. And is teaching and seducing my servants. Uh-huh. To practice sexual immorality. Okay. And to eat food sacrificed to idols. Uh-huh. Listen. I gave her time. He, he, he goes on. He goes on and on. He said, you, you were doing well with this. You've been doing a great job, but you've been lacking a bit in this area. Right? And what I want husbands to understand is, is that Jesus is all about building up the church. But when something exists that is against God, it needs to be addressed. Now, I know some of us husbands in here, our toes are weak because we've been tiptoeing around the house trying not to make the wife mad, I don't want to say this because, ooh, man, she, she may start arguing and I don't want to argue this and that and the other. But if sin is existing in our homes, it needs to be addressed. It needs to be addressed. And guess what? If you have a Christian wife who is living in submission to Christ, that means she's living in submission to her authority in the home, which is the husband. And that means that if you address this thing, she won't get mad and start throwing things. Right? Right, wives? <laughs> this is the order that God has set into place. Husbands, you cannot, you cannot allow sin to exist in your home. You cannot allow sin to exist in your home. It should not be tolerated. It has to be addressed. It must be weeded out. Because if you let it fester, it will grow. Amen? I want to move along. I'm going to skip past the, those latter verses there. I want to look at two structures. We talked about the husband. We talked about the wife. Now, I want you to, again, look at the home again. I want you to observe the White House, which is man-made institution of what the home looks like, not the actual White House in D.C., wherever it is. Not that institution, but whenever I talk about the White House here, I want to talk about the structure of the home and the structure of marriage as man sees it versus the right house, which is the thing that God has set up. The White House versus the right house. 
most humanity will tell you that marriage is a contractual relationship recognized by law. However, God will show that marriage is a covenant. It's a covenant relationship that was created by God. Man may tell you that it's a contractual relationship, but it's a covenant relationship. And this is what a contract is. Contracts are most often made for a limited period of time. Contracts are most often made for a limited period of time. When you decide to get married, it's for life. I know I left off the R. It's for life. We don't do this thing like they do on TV. Love is blind. Y'all see that show on Netflix. We get married. We're going to do it forever, for life. Amen? That should be our goal, for life. I know things happen, but we get married. We want to do this thing for life. Contracts most often deal with specific actions. If you do this for me, then I'll do that for you. That's not how marriage ought to be. I'm only going to be faithful to you if you're faithful to me. I'm only going to be nice to you if you're nice to me. I'm only going to cook for you if you cook for me. I'm only going to cut the grass if you clean the house. Contract marriages. Contracts are often based on an if-then mentality. If you do this, then I'll do that. Contracts are motivated by the desire to get something we want. Contracts are sometimes unspoken and implicit. What I want you to understand with this is, is that that is not the way that God designed for marriage to look. It's not what he designed marriage to look like. When you look at a marriage, a covenant marriage, it looks very different than a contract. A covenant marriage involves two parties receiving everything they need, which each person given as much as they can. Covenant marriages are initiated for the benefit of the other person. Think about that for a moment. Covenants are initiated for the benefit of the other person. Think about God. What did God gain by helping the children of Israel leave Egypt? Whether he helped them or not, he was still going to be the God. He was still going to be the ruler over everything. God did that for their benefit. Our covenant relationship between husband and wife ought to be for the benefit of the other person. Now ask yourself, have you been behaving in a way that benefits your spouse. Amen. Me and the walls having a good time. I preached to myself while I was studying this already. So I know we, we have, I was quiet too when I was studying it. Uh, in covenant relationships, people make unconditional promises. That means I'm making the promise to love you through sickness and health, till death do us part. You don't have to do anything for me to do that. I'm doing it for you. Amen. Covenant relationships are based on steadfast love. We do not have to wonder what God's attitude will be tomorrow. We know that God is going to love us tomorrow. No husband, no wife should have to wake up on a daily basis wondering, does my wife, does my husband love me today? Amen. It ain't right. Covenant relationships view commitments as permanent. 
that means that I'm not signing a prenup just in case. If you don't trust him before you say I do, then don't say I do. Mm. Covenant relationships require confrontation and forgiveness. If someone's breaking the covenant that you have entered into, it needs to be addressed. Don't ignore it and allow hate and sin to fester and ruin the covenant. Amen. If something happens within the covenant that you exist in, that you don't like, address it in love. And if something has happened to you in your covenant relationship, be willing to forgive. Because you're going to mess up too. Amen. Two questions that we may have when we exist in the covenant relationship. How can I love my spouse when I see no positive traits? How can I love my spouse when I see no positive traits? All we have to do is look to God's word. Romans 5, 8, the Bible says, But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. There was a sacrifice that was made while we were still doing wrong. We were the cause of the wrong, and God still loved us. If we don't see positive traits, we should still be willing to love because that same love was shown towards us. Next question would be, how can I forgive my spouse when their wrongful actions are repetitive? They keep doing wrong. They keep making me angry. They keep letting me down. They keep making me upset. They never put me first. We look at Matthew chapter 18, verses 21 through 22. The Bible says, Then Peter came up and said to him, Peter came up to him and said, Lord, uh-huh. how often will my brother sin against me and I forgive him? As many as seven times? Peter comes up to him. He says, man, I'm looking for a way. Just how many times do I have to, to put up with this before I can just, just stop fooling with this person, right? Jesus responds to him in verse 22, and he says what? Jesus said uh-huh. to him, uh-huh. I do not say to you seven times, but 77 times. Listen, don't you be counting on your fingers how many times somebody's done wrong. All right? What he means by this is forgive and keep on forgiving. Amen? Don't don't keep a journal with all the wrongs of what your spouse has done for you. If they keep doing wrong, forgive and love them towards change. Because that's what God did for us. We must impress, not just on our homes, but we must impress on the world that covenant marriages are the better option. And the only way we can do that is through our example. Do you have a covenant marriage or do you have a contract marriage? I'm happy with you as long as you do A, B, and C. Or are you seeking on a daily basis, listen, daily basis, to do what benefits the other person in your covenant relationship? That's a question we have to ask ourselves. I'm not asking you to tell me. The requirements of our roles within a marriage can be quite daunting at times. Uh, it, it may even be impossible for some of us as human beings, and that's why we choose to be single, some of us, right? But as Christians, we know that we are more than conquerors through Christ. With Christ, we can right, 
properly, right? We're writing, listen, we're, we're, we're writing or we're speaking a sermon to existence through how our marriage exists. When the world looks at our marriage, they ought to see a presiding man and a first lady. They ought to see a man that is respected within his home, a man who leads by the authority of God, a man who loves his wife just as Christ loved the church. And within that same home, they ought to see a wife, the first lady, who is respected and loved by her husband, one that submits to the authority as she does to Christ. When the world sees that, a powerful sermon is preached. Our children don't have to leave homes, get into marriages for decades to figure out what it should look like. They see the example before they leave, before they begin to marriages. And guess what? It only advances to the next level as they go and they find spouses. And then the church is stronger. And then the structure of the church is stronger because we have husbands and wives who can then be in leadership positions in the church, who can serve as deacons, who can serve as elders. And if the church is strong, then the world has hope. But it starts at home with presiding man and the first lady. Amen. If you're not, if you're not a Christian this morning, I want you to understand that you live beneath your privilege. God has written a love story to you. He, he loves you. No matter what you've done in your past, no matter, no matter who you've done wrong to, no matter how you've done wrong, God still loves you. And he loved you so much that he sent his son Jesus down here to die for you. He sent him down here in the form of a man and he felt every emotion that you feel. He felt pain like you feel pain. And he sent him down here to die for our sins. The question that you have to ask yourself is, is do I believe, do I believe? This good news that Jesus came to die for me and I have hope to live for eternity with God. Do you believe it? Are you willing to repent of your sins? Repentance is a change of mind that leads to a change of action. Are you willing to change your mind about how you've been living? Are you willing to confess that Jesus Christ is the Son of God? If we confess that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, we then pledge allegiance to Jesus. And understand that we also must be baptized for the remission of our sins. We meet the blood of Jesus in the water. And when we make contact with the blood, all of our sins are washed away. That means that the thing that you did in your past, God no longer holds you accountable for it. You can begin your walk towards an eternity in heaven with God. But you must make the decision to do so. If you stand in need of prayer, you just need prayer today, and we'll stop the live right now. If you need prayer, we'll stop the live. It won't be on live. If you need prayer, come forward. We'll pray for you today as we sing the song of invitation. All to Jesus I surrender all to him I freely give. Well, you know that I Hello, thank you for listening to the Avenue GCLC podcast. My name is Christopher Stevens, and I'm the minister at the Avenue G Church of Christ, where we are people of more. We hope that you enjoy and have enjoyed listening to this podcast. 
where you can find sermons, congregational singing, and talk shows with myself and youth minister Joshua Williams. We pray that the content is a blessing to you, and we hope that everyone listening can join us in person for worship and Bible class. We are located at 601 West Avenue G, Temple, Texas, 76504. And don't forget to visit us online at avegcoc.org. From the people of war to you, thank you and God bless.